This is Fair Examination on the Mormon Faircast. Fair Examination takes a close look at interesting and sometimes difficult issues facing the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and its members. How does a man with same-sex attraction find the only woman in the world to whom he is attracted? In this interview, Joshua Johansson talks about his history with same-sex attraction, his experience as a BYU student and as a member of a singles ward, and introduces us to his wife, Alyssa Johansson. Alyssa shares her insights into being married to a man with same-sex attraction. Joshua and Alyssa also discuss the things that have helped make their marriage successful. As they do so, it becomes clear that their relationship is not all that different from anyone else's. This is the first part of a three-part interview. Joshua and Alyssa, welcome to Fair Examination. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Let me just start. Uh, We want to talk about both of your backgrounds. Um, Maybe, uh, Joshua, could you give us just a brief biography of yourself? I was born to a wonderful family, the fourth of six kids. Um, Started off in the military, so got exposed to a lot of cool countries, but was raised in Las Vegas from the time I was eight on. Um, started realizing I had same-sex attraction about then. Um, went to BYU, um, served a mission in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Um, came back, graduated, went to the University of Washington. Um, came down to Oakland, California area in San Jose and met a beautiful woman with it by the name of Alyssa. Um, we got married and we now live in San Diego. What do you do for a living? I'm a computational linguist, um, machine translation. Um, so if there's a web page in French, you don't speak French, you translate it into English, you get the gist of what it is. Oh, interesting. And um, you're an active member of the LDS Church. Yes. What calling do you hold right now? Right now I have two callings. I am the ward choir director, and I'm also the sunbeam teacher. Okay. And uh, hold a current temple recommend? Yes. Alyssa, can you tell us about your background? Well, I was born in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, I was born to a family where I was an only child until I was 10, and then my brother was added to our family. I was able to attend the University of Utah, where I graduated with a degree in chemical engineering, and I moved from there to Berkeley, California, where I obtained a Ph.D., also in chemical engineering, And um, I was able to obtain a postdoc after that with Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory. Um, And at that point in time, shortly after I started my postdoc, I met my future husband. And we were able, after we got married, um, to live in the Bay Area for a short period of time. And then we we did move down here to San Diego. So. Okay. And so are you still working now? Yes. And where do you work? I work for a company called Sapphire Energy. And right now I'm currently pregnant and expecting my first child. Oh, congratulations. We'll be parents in February. Well, that's awesome. So, uh, Alyssa, what callings do you have in the church? Uh, I am a co-sunbeam teacher with my husband right now. And um, I try to support him in his choir calling as much as possible. So you sing in the choir too? I sing in the choir, and I also have been providing choir treats on a regular basis. So. Okay. All right. And you also are a current Temple Recommend holder. I am. All right. Let's back up then, and uh, I want to go into a little bit more detail 
talking about Joshua's background. Um, Joshua, when did you first realize that you were experiencing same-gender attraction? Um, I realized I was more attracted to males than females very early on, um, but I didn't put that together until um, I did have some problems and had to go to my ecclesiastical leader, and he called it gay. I'm like, oh, yeah, that is, isn't it? How, how old were you? Um, When I talked to my leader. Right. Um, about 17. And so I guess what happened is that you weren't so much coming out, you know, to, to anybody as you were um, going and talking to your bishop. And, and he sort of, I guess, pointed out to you what it was that was going on. Is that is that fair to say? Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, I I, th- I was in denial is what it was. I mean, I knew, but didn't really want to admit to myself. Right. So, I mean, it's obvious looking back on it. Okay. And so um, after you talked with your bishop about that, uh, how did you approach that with respect to friends and family members? Did you um, start talking to your parents about it at all at that point? No, I kept it very much hidden and tried to make it seem like it wasn't that big of a deal. It just, it just pretended that it was a fluke type thing and that it would have never happened again and tried to pretend that everything was all right. Okay, how did that go for you? It didn't go very well at all. I, I continued having some problems. Um, my mission was pretty good, but... Um, Afterwards, I, I continued to have problems. Um, okay, so you did go on a mission. I did. Um, at 19? At 19, yes. Okay, and uh, where, where did you go? Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Okay, uh, did you feel like you had a successful mission? I did. Okay, and did you go to, to, to college at all before your mission? Yes, I went to one year um, where? beforehand at BYU. Okay. So this was actually at BYU. I, I was at BYU at 17. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. And so how did your bishop handle that with respect to the BYU honor code? Was there any, uh, you know, did he report you to the discipline office or anything like that? No, no. And it wasn't major what I was I was doing. And so um, he, he worked with me to... We kind of swept it under the rug, really. We probably should have worked on it a bit more than we had, but I acted like it was no big deal. He thought it was no big deal, Um, so we just really didn't talk about it. In what way way do you think that you and he should have worked on it more? Well, I, I think it's hard to say because he shouldn't play the role of psychologist, so I am kind of confused what he should have done. Um, but then just just talk to me about what I was feeling and why I was doing it, and and help me to address it. That realize that it's not something that I can just sweep under the rug. Like, I think that's the biggest thing is that I was just trying to sweep it under the rug and pretend that it's no big deal. I didn't want to address it. I didn't want to admit to myself that something was going on and. Just to address it and start working on it is is what I needed. So 
so whatever fashion that is, just like, no, this is something that, this is a hard thing. A lot of people have a hard time with this. This isn't atypical to, to struggle with this. Let's just talk with it and be comfortable with it. I wasn't even comfortable really talking to him about it, and I think that made him uncomfortable talking about it as well. Right. If you were able to go back and talk to that bishop now with the perspective that you have, what would you recommend to him? Um, I, well, I would bring back the God liveth his, loveth his children back in time, because that would have been a great resource back then. Um, and, and just, just tell, I, I, get him somehow to be comfortable with it, because I, I think it's hard for us, people with us, to say to be comfortable with it. And if the person we're talking to isn't comfortable with it, then we, we won't, it'll be very hard for us to get comfortable with it for ourselves. So we're think, looking for cues. He's looking for cues. What do you think a bishop can do to become comfortable? Um, be educated on the issues. Find, hear stories, see what people are going through, see what's possible, see what's not. Understand the church doctrine on it. Um, I mean, throughout, I've talked to several bishops throughout the years, and one of the main feelings I get, especially in the 90s and early 2000s was they just didn't know and didn't know what to say and didn't want to say the wrong things so or didn't say anything at all. They were very uncomfortable with it, which made me uncomfortable with it. And so I guess, are you saying that you went to BYU for one year before your mission and then later went to the University of Washington or did you return at some point to BYU? I returned to BYU, yes, and then graduated there. Oh, okay, okay. And, um, and the University of Washington was for my master's degree. I see. So tell me about your experience at BYU in general uh, with respect to your same-sex attraction. Um, and, and maybe I should put that in a little context. There was a speech that President Samuelson, the president of BYU, gave to the Scottish Parliament this summer. And he was criticized by, well, at least one member of the Scottish Parliament, uh, or at least uh, the, the member of Scottish Parliament criticized the body for allowing President Samuelson to speak. What he said is, Mr. Samuelson should never have been invited to address the Parliament, given that he leads an institutionally homophobic academic institution. He added, I make this point not in respect to religion, but an academic institution that has a policy that would be utterly illegal and unacceptable here. What's your reaction to that statement? So, I mean, my first reaction is that there are plenty of places and institutions where someone with same-sex attraction can go to, where they can openly have a same-sex partner and embrace um, homosexual activity. But the fact of the matter is that there are many, many, many people with same-sex attractions who, for whatever reason, don't want that. They want an environment that will support them in their values and support them in what they want to do with their life. And that's what BYU is about, is helping and supporting people who want to follow the gospel standard. And I think people with same-sex attraction have just as much of a right to be in an environment like that as anyone else's. And I think to deny people with same-sex attractions who want to be in an environment like that the right to be in that environment, that's what I would consider homophobic. Um, so 
I, I think that BYU is absolutely a necessity to be fair and equal to all people with same-sex attraction. Yeah, the, the fact that BYU exists adds diversity to the um, academic um, culture of this country. It's, it's unique, and um, like you say, there are people that want to have that kind of experience, and if we force BYU to be like every other university in the, in the country, um, we've lost some freedom and some diversity. Including for gay people themselves who want that diversity. Right. So, because there's a lot of diversity within the gay population, and I think a lot of people don't recognize that. Are you aware of any figures along those lines? I, what what proportion of people experiencing same-sex attraction choose not to engage in same-sex activity? Um, so, the most recent um, study that I've seen um, is from the 1990s, so it's a bit old. But they had less than half of the people who admitted to having same-sex attraction at some point in their life ever participated in same-sex um, activity of one sort or another. Um, that was in the United States, so in other places I'd imagine it would be different. Um, but that's what it is in the United States. And... I've um, also seen through um, the Straight Spouse Network that there's approximately 2 million marriages where one of the people have same-sex attraction, again, in the United States. Um, and comparing that to numbers of the census, which has about 700,000, uh, these are rough estimates, I don't remember the exact numbers, um, but same-sex couples um, in the United States, the the proportions, I think, are a bit different than most people would expect. I think people who are in same-sex relationships tend to be more open about their same-sex attraction and more vocal. And I think people hear the more vocal side of things. So what's the source for that figure you gave me about the per percentage of people who engage in same-sex activity who are experiencing same-sex attraction? So it's the Social Organization of Sexuality and Sexual Practices in the United States, and that's by Edward O. Lawman, and okay. it's one of the largest studies about sexuality in the United States as of date. Oh, it's fascinating. Um, t tell me a little bit more about your experience at BYU then. Um, you know, did you engage in therapy while you were there um did you did you ever have any run-ins with the uh honor code enforcement office or uh any, ever had a bishop threaten to report you to the honor code office uh, or threaten to kick you out of the university um i did have some disciplinary action there um i did work with the honor code office i went in to the honor code office um when i talked with the bishop and I'm someone who likes to do things the right way, so even though I messed up, I, I assumed responsibility for my mistakes, and I went in and talked with them, and they offered me counseling, which I accepted and was great. Um, they gave they, um, I set up an appointment with the counselor, and they wouldn't talk with the counselor because they wanted it to be just one-on-one, -on -one. and so... Um, they, it was, the problem was with pornography. I had looked at gay pornography. And so when I first talked to the counselor, I was still not really ready to admit to myself that I was having problems. So I actually 
lied to the counselor and told them I was looking at female and male pornography. Um, I thought that might have been safer than just saying I was looking at male pornography. And, and you know you have to be pretty bad to, to lie in the Mormon church saying you're looking at female pornography in order to fit in. But that was my thing. And the counselor was really great. Um, I was part of a group therapy session where um, people, everyone who's dealing with um, pornography issues or, or sex, things around sexuality was in. And that's actually where I met the first person with same-sex attraction. He, his, um, he was actually married but had had a little problem um, with looking viewing gay pornography. And he talked about it and was very open about it. And I was really struck with how comfortable he was. And just he, he, he recognized a problem, but at the same time, he didn't act like he was the worst human being ever, which I think I had the tendency to do. Um, so I was impressed by his confidence, and, and I talked to him about it, and he, he introduced me a lot to what was going on and helped me be more comfortable with who I was. Okay, and so um, that, that kind of leads into something that I wanted to talk about a little bit, was, was your experience with therapy and what role therapy has played in, um, in your life. So what is your view on therapy with respect to same-sex attraction? I had several um, counselors that I absolutely loved. I had therapy with Jeff Robinson, and he helped me a lot with the issues that I was going through. For me in particular, and I think it's similar for a lot of people with same-sex attraction, is that there's a lot more going on than same-sex attraction. We've learned to blame a lot of things going on in our life on same-sex attraction. That's not necessarily the case. So for me, just learning to be comfortable with who I am and um, still holding strong to what I know is right was very valuable. Um, I have had therapy with people who weren't so interested in helping me accomplish what I wanted. And that was very hard for me. I had a therapist who was an LDS therapist recommended to me by um, LDS Family Services. Um, but he brought in a man who said that he um, was living the same lifestyle as Mormon, except instead of having a wife, he had a boyfriend. And I talked to him, and it became apparent that there were other issues of his life that I did not want to emulate. Um, but it wasn't an environment where I felt particularly that he was supporting me in what I wanted to do. And that is one thing I really appreciated about BYU is I was able to go and get therapy there that is what I wanted, where I felt that they respected me and supported me in what I wanted to accomplish. And that's essential. And it's very hard outside of um, – the West, where the LDS Church is strong, to be able to find therapy like that. And so I appreciated having therapy. Um, but I also realized that other people with same-sex attraction didn't have the same issues that I have, are more comfortable, and are okay living the standards of the gospel, and either okay with their um, opposite-sex spouse or being celibate. And I feel there's a lot of pressure in the church to get therapy, whether you want it or not. And I think that can be hard, too, if you're not wanting to change and don't see a point to it. Um, 
the church doesn't require you to go to therapy. It doesn't require you to do anything with regards to therapy. It asks you to obey the law of chastity, and it's because it will prepare us to live with God again, and that's what's important. So I really appreciated being able to go to BYU and having people understand that about me and what I wanted. So what support groups exist out there for people who experience same-sex attraction that are consistent with church standards? So that are specifically geared towards people with same-sex attraction, there is Evergreen and there's North Star. Evergreen holds conferences um, once a year in Salt Lake City, and they have several support groups. Um, North Star is, um, and it fo- Evergreen focuses a lot on change and therapy. Um, North Star is a newer group, and it's a bit broader. There's a lot of people there who who are big advocates of therapy, but there are a lot of people there who aren't interested in therapy as well. Um, the goal of North Star is to support people in their efforts to follow the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's several different approaches of doing that, and they don't support any particular one, but anything that's consistent with the values of the LDS Church. Um, they're a newer organization. They have a better online presence, I feel, and um, more social activities, stuff like that. Some people um, say, oh, go ahead. Sorry, and there's um, some, uh, many organizations that aren't, affiliated specifically with the church. Um, I did not have Evergreen, so I went to Exodus, um, which is a Protestant, very evangelical version of Evergreen. Um, I also went into a Journey into Manhood weekend, um, sponsored by People Can Change, and that's not affiliated with any religion at all. And there is actually atheists and agnostics who go to that. And that was very good, and I found it very helpful for me and my goals. Now, you mentioned um, that Evergreen focuses on change. Um, you know, it sounds like some some of these groups and some therapies will focus on that and some won't. Uh, do you think a person's sexual orientation can change? Yes. Um, I've met several people who say that their sexual orientation has changed and that they no longer experience any attraction towards the same sex. I don't fit in that category. I am still very much attracted to men. Um, I am sexually attracted to my wife, which, depending on how you define sexual orientation, may or may not be a change in sexual orientation of itself. Um, But she's the only woman I've ever found to be sexually attractive. And I don't see much of a purpose in learning to be sexually attracted to women that I'm not married to. So um, it's not as high of a goal for me. Yeah, um, that's an interesting statement. You know, from a person who's heterosexual's standpoint, um, it wouldn't be healthy for my marriage to try to develop, um, you know, my uh, drive toward other. Yeah, yeah, or my drive toward other women that I'm not married to. Um, So that's that's an interesting way of putting it. That uh, you know you don't feel like it's necessary for you to develop attractions toward people to whom you are not married. Um, you know, with with respect to therapy and, and um, support groups, some people say that this is simply a way for 
heterosexual society to oppress gay people by telling them they need to change in order to be accepted. How do you respond to that? Most of the support groups that I've seen are, it's very strongly organized by people with same-sex attraction themselves. Um, So to say that it's coming from the heterosexual segment is to not understand how the dynamics work. Um, Many people who are heterosexual don't understand the group and are leery of it themselves. Um, It's people who have been there who who know what it's like to try to hold strong to your values and have a difficult time, who want to reach out and help other people. And that's the point of a support group is to reach out and help other people. There is a study by the American Psychological Association. They asked the task force to look at several different um, sexual orientation change efforts, including support groups. And they found the support groups to be just that they they said it doesn't they had weren't able to determine whether or not it changed sexual orientation but they did say that it acts like a support group it gives people who are minorities um an act a way to reach out to each other and to alleviate minority stress and that's that's the point of support group is to give support you know, your experience is one that I think would be helpful for a lot of people to emulate in the sense that, you know, you went through the typical experience of, of recognizing you're experiencing same-sex attraction, struggling with that, uh, seeking out support groups. You seem to have reached a point in your life now where you have a healthy view of your own sexuality, where you fit in the church, uh, where you fit in society. You're open about it. and You try to help other people. To what do you attribute your success in getting to the point where you are now? God. There's no question. I've learned to rely on him in a way I never knew was possible. I've learned how the atonement works in my life. I've learned that that we all are imperfect and we can't ever try or expect to be perfect on by ourselves. And that's why he gave Christ for us. So Christ would come down and take upon him our sins and our trials and tribulations. And I think learning that I'm not the one who had to carry that burden, that that was Christ's burden to carry, and that he's giving me another yoke that is light and easy to bear, um, that's so much better than me trying to do it by myself. How did you come to realize this? How did you come to learn how to apply the atonement in your life to ease this burden that you've been bearing? I mean, years of church, um, prayer and fasting and scripture study, um, teaching out my mission to others and, uh, Specifically with same-sex attraction, um, I received a lot of help from some good bishops. So I, um, in the Bay Area particularly, I had a bishop who really, really was great, who just loved me no matter what, and he was comfortable with it. Um, I think part of it has to do with the geography. It's hard not to be exposed to it in the Bay Area. Um and he he helped he talked to me and, and sat for long hours and hours on end helping me to understand these things. Um, 
and and then applying it in my life. And also another thing that really helped me, one of the things that I got a lot from support group is some excellent examples of people who have gone before me, people who have learned to be okay with who they are and learned to be okay with relying on Jesus to make up for their shortcomings and not try to do everything themselves, which has always been my struggle. So you uh, finished up at BYU and you went to the University of Washington. So after you finished school in Washington, I guess you got your job in the Bay Area. Is that what happened? Yeah, I got an internship down there and then that turned into a job. Once you moved to the Bay Area, um, you know we haven't we haven't talked a lot about uh, the extent to which friends and family knew about your same sex attractions. At what point did you start talking to people other than therapists or other than the you know BYU Honor Code office about your same sex attraction? So my parents found out at BYU when I started going to the therapy. Um, and that was about it until I got to the Bay Area. Um, my, my parents were very interested in, in helping me and they've always been very loving and supportive. Um, I have both a wonderful father and a mother and they suggested going to the People Can Change the Journey into Manhood group. And it was there that I first really started interacting with other people with same-sex attraction, and there are a lot of really great men who were living the gospel and doing living their life the way that I would want to live, who I, I saw for the first time that it could really be possible, that you can be confident and okay with who you are and very accepting of who you are while living the standards of the gospel. And so that was really a turnaround. And and so then I started, someone there was, was Protestant, and he recommended going to Exodus. And so I started going to Exodus, and so I was meeting with people every week. But at that point, I was still, I wouldn't tell anyone where I was going on Friday night. Um, it was Friday night, which was very annoying. Um, and they just knew that I went somewhere Friday night. And I was realizing that there was this huge disconnect where everything I was hearing and everything everyone was saying is there's no problem to have same-sex attraction. You're, you're still great. You're still wonderful. It's just like any other sin, but let's hide everything about us um, for fear that someone might ever find out because it's such a horrible, awful thing. And to me, that just didn't make sense. There seemed to be a huge disconnect there. And I realized to really meet my goal, I needed to stop acting as if it was something to be ashamed about, as if it's something different or weird. And I needed to pretend like it's just like everything else, because until I did that, I would never really believe that myself. Um, so I, well, I first tried to say, well, how about instead of lying, because you have to lie to be closeted. People talk about, well, you just don't talk about it. But no, if you want to be closeted, you have to come up with some good lies. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to not lie. That's my goal. I'm just not going to lie. But then people ask, oh, where are you going Friday? Well, do I drop the bomb and say, hey, I'm going to this pray away the gay thing, my bobber? That, <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's it's hard to casually mention something like that, you know? Um, 
And so I was assigned a talk to talk about God's love for us. And it seemed appropriate to talk about how I felt God's love for us through my dealing with same-sex attraction. And I talked to the bishop, and he was okay with it. And I didn't dwell on it. I mentioned it. Um, But it's not something that you blow over very easily. It's everyone caught up on it. And it was it was terrifying to get up in front of my whole young single adult group and not knowing how they'll interact, um, react, and not knowing anything, just basically changing my whole relationship with everyone in an instant. Um, but I got up there and I told them, and as soon as I did, it was a huge burden that was lifted off me where I'm like, I don't have to hide. I don't have to lie. I don't have to be, pretend to be something I'm not. People are going to understand me. And the, everyone was really great. They all came up and congratulated me and said I did a good job and that they love me and support me no matter what. Um, we got a lot of those a bit too um, sympathetic people that I was talking to you about earlier. Um And I actually had quite a few people come up to me, some with same-sex attraction and some people with other struggles who said, you know, I go to Alcoholics Anonymous, and that's hard doing going to a young single adult ward because I'm afraid that people are going to find out about me. But because you spoke, I feel like I can talk to you about it. And that was really cool to me, and it, it I was able to open things up and see a side of people that I hadn't seen before, and for the first time, I felt people were getting to know me, and it enabled me to make friends in a way that I never had before. So this was in the Bay Area, you said? Yes. And so up to this point, uh, had you been open with your bishops about your same-sex attraction? Yes, after BYU. Yeah, I mean, that introduction was saying that I looked at both male porn and female porn was the introduction to me being honest. Because before that, just said that I I struggled with with, um, female porn, and that was not accurate. So how did your bishops respond to you with respect to the church? Were you, you know, was there any way in which you felt like your church activity was limited simply on the basis that you're experiencing same-sex attraction. Definitely not same-sex attraction. Every single one of them emphasized over and over again that it had nothing to do with the same-sex attraction. It was the viewing of sexually explicit material that was was problematic. Okay, which would be true for a heterosexual male. Right. right. Okay. And <clears throat> so... Before this point that you you gave this talk in church, you didn't have any friends that you had come out to. Right before, um, because I decided that that's not the way I wanted my roommates to find out, because I thought that might be a bit uncomfortable. So I had told them before um, coming out. I did have a roommate um, right after I went into the, right before rather, I went to the Journey into Manhood weekend. Um, it was me and him in, um, right when I moved to the Bay area and I had dated this girl and things were going good and I was excited, you know, cause things seemed to be working. 
And then she prayed, and she felt like she shouldn't date me anymore. And so she said, I don't know why I'm having a great time with you, but I feel like God wants us to break up. And that was really hard for me because that was the first time, okay, God actually doesn't want me to date this woman. <laughs> you know, and it was it was really hard for me to take. And my roommate, because we were pretty close, um, he, he sensed that something was wrong. And so he asked me, he said, I'll be there for you. You know, I'll talk to you. It doesn't matter. Um, you can talk to me about it. And so I did open up to him. And the next day, all of his stuff was gone, and he left me a note saying never to talk to him again or try to contact him. Um, and that was really hard for me. Um, I, I was crying. I, I run to deal with things, so I just run out and run. I didn't even bother putting shoes on. I think, so I was just like in my socks running in the street because I just wanted to run and I ended up close to someone's house who I was kind of friends with and I went in and her roommates were there who I wasn't know as much but I didn't care and I spilled everything to them and told them everything that was going on so that was that I that was a big coming out to people but then after that I kind of went closeted again and so uh, this roommate that you had, was he a member of the ward? Yes. And so did he continue going to that ward or did he just move out of the ward? Nope, he moved out of the ward. Wow. Did you ever contact him again? Did you ever, ever have any interaction with him after that? Um, I did happen to run into him at a um, an area single adult event. Um, and it was just kind of awkward. He was only there for, we were both there for internships. I ended up getting a job at my internship and continuing there where he went home. Hmm. So, um, and so he, he never, I guess, never apologized or anything after that, huh? No. That's too bad. Yeah. So you're talking about the girl that you had broken up with just before you came out to your ward. Um, what kind of experience did you have in general dating as you were going through college i've i've always been really good friends with women um i seemed to have connected better with females in general better than males um and i so i'd go on dates and i enjoyed dates because i enjoyed being with women but it never had that romantic aspect to it so i'd go and i'd have fun but there was nothing beyond that if that made sense so how long would you um continue dating someone did you ever have it sounds like you had at least one long-term dating experience um before you came out to your ward so, so that i mean we had just barely started dating when that happened so it was like a week after our first date that that happened oh interesting so that wasn't a long-term Okay. I thought it might be because I was starting to enjoy it, and she was, and then she prayed about it and felt like she shouldn't continue. And and then I did have another one. Um, so the um, it lasted a month, which was phenomenal for me. Um, and we um, dated. It was exclusively for a month, and it was great. And then I um, she found out. I told her about my pornography use, and she dumped me after that. Okay. So, um, yeah, I was I was excited about that, but it didn't work out. So, so um, you came out to your ward, and 
how did that affect your interaction with the young women in the single adult ward? It was great. I was really surprised. I quickly started dating someone after that, and it it was a really great experience for me because for the first time I could be open with a person. I think that was part of my problem is when I was trying to date with them, I would never open up to them, and so nothing could develop, you know, because I was always on guard and I was always pretending. And she knew that I had SSA. She actually moved into the ward after I came out, but it was on my Facebook, and she read my Facebook. Um, but she when, you, was, when you say she, who are you talking about? You want me to use her name? Oh, well, well <laughs> I guess I, I, I was wondering if we're moving into talking about Alyssa now. And no. So, I, so this, when you say she, is this, are you saying that there was only one girl that you started dating after you came out, or... Um, I went on a couple dates, but then I was trying to make things work in more of a serious relationship with this woman. Um, I really enjoyed being with her, and we were great friends. And and I could continue um, being with her because so, – so, so it was an interesting thing. is Before I came out and I was dating women, um, I'd always have this tension in me building up because I was constantly pretending – you know, and I felt I couldn't be who I was. And so after a while, it was very stressful and I couldn't deal with it anymore. And, you know, just things didn't happen. So we're, with this woman, um, I really enjoyed being with her. And that tension was totally gone because she knew who I was. And it was great just to be with her. Um, but after about, again, a month of dating, I talked to her and because we hadn't kissed. And I said, I have no desire to kiss you whatsoever. I enjoy being with you and it's great, but I just don't like you that way. And she understood. I mean, I said on the onset that I don't think this will work, but I'm willing to give it a shot. And that was her attitude too. So it was, I, I felt it was a good breakup and we continued to being friends afterwards. I mean, what better excuse can you do? It really isn't you. It's me, right? <laughs> it's the greatest line. I'm gay. Fine. Okay, I get it. <laughs> no hard feelings. It's great. And so um, it sounds like you your dating situation, I guess, in a way, improved from what it had been before after you came out. Definitely. Definitely, without a shadow of a doubt. It was so much better. And I was surprised that the women were still able to date me. And that was my biggest concern coming out, is that I wouldn't be able to find any roommates, because there was five people in the house that needed to be filled, and if it wasn't filled, we had to pay a significant hike in rent, which is really bad in the Bay Area. And then I wouldn't be able to date. And neither one of them was true. We still had lots of people who wanted to room with us and Lots of girls who wanted to date me. So, wow. So your experience with uh, men in the young single adult ward and with women in the young single adult ward did not. Um, it, it was well. Well, you had the experience with the roommate that moved out, and so there's that negative experience. But aside from that. It sounds like, in many ways, your interaction with people in the young single adult ward improved. Absolutely. Yeah, that was a very much an anomaly. And actually, I'm grateful for the anomaly because... The anomaly of your, your roommate moving out. The anomaly of my roommate moving out because 
for me, I'm like, well, you know, this is the worst thing that can happen. And I got over it. So it, it really got me over a lot of my fears. So, because I think the unknown is more scary sometimes than the known. Mm-hmm. And I knew what it was like to be rejected. So I was more okay with it. Yeah, it's, it, I made my best friends there and I still miss them terribly living here in San Diego. And because I was able to connect on them for real and talk about real issues with people and be myself. It's, I, my friends that I made there were much better than anywhere else I've ever made friends. So how did you first meet Alyssa? I was at a salsa dance and there were lots of women from my ward there and I enjoy dancing very much and I try to make the person I'm dancing with enjoy it as well. And um, Alyssa saw me dancing with some different women and I was trying to figure out if he was actually there at the dance with someone in particular or if he was just there dancing. And in between, you know, after one series of songs, I saw him standing around with a group of guys talking to them and figured that if he was standing around with a group of guys, he probably wasn't there with anyone particular. So I decided to walk over and ask if he would like or I asked him where he would learn where he had learned to dance because my my ultimate goal was to start a conversation about dancing where maybe he would get the hint that I might be interested in dancing with him but you have to understand it was a salsa dance and the music was very loud and I didn't hear her correctly (laughs) and I thought she asked me if I'd like to dance and so I pulled her on the dance floor and started dancing because I thought that's what she was asking me. And I really appreciate assertiveness in a person. And so maybe I had this automatic appreciation that was unfounded. <laughs> it was rather abrupt to be, you know, just on the dance floor. But that's what I wanted, ultimately, was I was I was at the salsa dance by myself, actually, and Surprisingly, even though my ward was closer and it had been very well announced, um, nobody else from my ward showed up. So uh, I had come from a very different direction than all of my ward friends, and I just kind of assumed there'd be a few people there that I knew, and then there wasn't. And so I was just trying to have a fun time and looking for people to, to dance with, and yeah, it was pretty funny. But she was an amazing dancer. And I love dancing with her, and we, except for one brief interruption, we danced the rest of the night together. And I had been working on a, for a long time on asking girls for their phone numbers. Um, it took me years to learn how to do that, but this was a good opportunity to put that practice into action. And I asked for her phone number, and she gave it to me. And then Funnily enough, he actually asked me out, um, or he he had had traveled to the dance with someone else, and that other person actually was like, "Hey, tomorrow night we're having another dance in our area. Wouldn't you come?" So I ended up going to that one too. You know, Joshua, let me let me back up a little bit. Um, what were your expectations, and what what were you? anticipating with respect to 
your dating experience and getting married. Uh, were you expecting that you might uh, find somebody that you were sexually attracted to, or were you expecting you might simply find someone who was willing to that you liked well enough to get married to, but was willing to put up with the fact that you were not sexually attracted to them? I was not going to marry someone that I was not sexually attracted to. Um, I've at this point was integrated enough in with the community to hear of several other people who had developed attractions for their um, opposite sex spouse. And so I knew it was possible, but at the same time, I've heard even more stories of people who have tried and it didn't work. So I didn't know which category I would ultimately fit into. And it was during the time preceding Proposition 8 in California and so the Supreme Court had just ruled that that type of relationship is impossible. And I was getting very frustrated with a lot of, because everyone was saying that this type of thing just didn't work. And so I actually called my friend who was the first person at BYU who is married. And he assured me that after all the years since we first started talking, he was still just as in love with his wife as he always was, which was very much, and that things were working out well for them. Um, but I came to the conclusion that even if it didn't work out, I would rather have the peace that comes through following the gospel and live a lifetime of celibacy than to have the companionship, which I was craving, but not have the peace that comes with the gospel. Um, and I, I do think it's interesting that it was right after I made that internal decision that I did find my wife. And I do think that God wanted me to come to that point in my life, and that was important for my internal progression. Questions or comments about this episode can be sent to podcast at fairlds.org or join the conversation at fairblog.org. Tell your friends about us and help increase the popularity of this podcast by subscribing in iTunes and by writing a review. Music for this episode was provided courtesy of Lawrence Green. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or of FAIR.